Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door, having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. It's Renee here. Welcome back to another episode, probably the third, maybe we could have a fourth installment of Crime Club. Uh, guys, last week's uh, conversation was absolutely incredible with a rehabilitation clinician. So go back and listen to that if you missed it. But guys, oh my gosh, I am, I don't even feel worthy to be interviewing today's guest. Um, I want to introduce to you, we have got today. Um, And you are just going to get so much out of this conversation. But a friend of mine that I actually met recently, her name is Dr. Lauren Humby, and she is a criminologist from the University of Southern Queensland. Welcome, Lauren. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And let me tell you, I I feel the same in terms of you. Why why on earth are you interviewing me? Are you kidding? Well, one <laughs> I met recently in, in Toowoomba and then we ended up sitting across from each other at, was it breakfast? I kind of remember where it was. Yeah, I think it was breakfast. Yeah. And chatted and chatted and chatted. And I'm like, I wish we lived closer. I would have coffee with you and it would go for hours and we would have so much oh, to say. It absolutely would. <laughs> the surface. Okay. So let's start with this. Why are you Dr. Lauren Humby? So I, uh, I'm a criminologist. I work at the University of Southern Queensland. Uh, so I did my PhD, oh, well, I finished it in 2018, uh, pretty much three years on the dot. I needed to get out. <laughs> it's, a, it's a long slog, uh, but well worth it. So, so because you've got your PhD, you're a doctor. Is that how, that's how it works? Yes, that's how it works. Yeah, where did you study? I studied at the University of New England in Armadale. Okay, but from, were you living in Queensland? No, uh, I was living in Newcastle at the time uh, in New South Wales. That's where I was born and bred in uh, just outside of Maitland. I uh, did my undergrad uh, by distance through uh, UNE. And then when I uh, started doing my PhD, they offered me some, some work, you know, marking and the little kind of casual academic uh, gigs that you get and ended up uh, deciding to move up there, uh, move up to Armadale. Oh, uh, okay. Amazing. Cold, but amazing. Yeah, especially yeah, <laughs> Okay, so what made you pursue this path, this career pathway to become a criminologist? Uh, well, I've always had uh, a great interest in crime and justice. Um, you know, as a child, I was that child that was, it's not fair. <laughs> I always was passionate about what was right, what was good, what was fair. Um, I, I remember, so I was homeschooled uh, from the age of 13 in, in year eight. Uh, and uh, Blue Healers used to be on at 2pm. <laughs> and uh, I loved it I fell in love Uh, from that I just I fell in love with water rats and you know like um, police rescue you know all the really old school uh, police dramas Um, I also loved true crime docos I I remember one 
one night and I think you know it was the Lisa McCune forensic investigators I think she did and it used to be on at like 11 p.m and I was fairly young at the time and I remember getting up my parents were in bed and sneakily trying to watch the Ivan Milat um episode uh meanwhile scaring myself yeah. half to death I'm sure but it it really intrigued me um and you know it didn't scare me enough because I ended up going to the library um and reading some more books on him and didn't you scare yourself with all this crime watching as like a young teenager um I think the interest that I had in it um kind of pushed me more than you know I I think I always I feel like I always inherently knew like humanity was you know problematic and sin and all that kind of stuff and but I was driven to know why um and you know that that became even more um kind of prominent um after I had experienced um victimization myself you know I, I wanted to know what drove people to commit such atrocities against other humans you know what what was it in them um what happened to them that that led them down such a dark path um and I must admit I I still you know I have much more of an understanding about the theoretical aspects but you know in in many cases you know there's multiple people that experience let, let's say abuse you know childhood abuse is um a big predictor of our criminality um and criminal behavior when you're older but there's a lot of people on the other side of the coin there's a lot of people who experience abuse who don't yeah so you kind of go well is that the reason yeah um you know yeah yeah. Have you worked that out, by the way, what the reason is? Well, do you know, I think a lot of it comes down to uh, a lack of love, a lack of community. Um, I, I work, uh, the, my PhD is focused on dog therapy in prisons. And so I worked um, with and interacted with a lot of people in prison. I continue to work with a lot of people who have been in prison but are now on the outside either you know paroled or just trying to reintegrate into society and we are so unkind just in general we we do not what we should be doing is um loving them you know embracing them in our arms and just showing them god's love essentially Um, but we don't. We label them. We shun them. Yeah. And you've got a lot of personal experience with this, right? Because I know we're kind of I'm jumping ahead of our questions here, but your friend, uh, sorry, your colleague that has done a podcast, which um, I've got on my list ready to listen to, um, called <laughs> yes. "I'm Not My Crime." Where can you talk about that? Because you've actually been around these people that have been in prison for certain crimes and now are trying to. Um, redeem their life, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, Dr. Suzanne Wright, 
fabulous, amazing colleague of, of mine. Uh, she, she put together this podcast. She is so passionate about changing perceptions, about, you know, challenging and changing those perceptions that we have. Uh, and she did her PhD on, you know, employers' perceptions. You know, one of the difficulties that people have when they are released from prison is that they can't get jobs. People don't give them chances. And so that really restricts your opportunities. Yeah. Um, and also the labelling that comes with that. You know, if you get told, you know, if you get told you're stupid enough, if you get told that something so often, it becomes a belief that you hold. And so this is often what, what happens with, with people who have been to prison. Uh, and they don't think that they could amount to anything else and I might as well just be back there and I'll prove everybody right. They think this anyway, let me just be that person. And so what this podcast does, Suzanne interviews uh, six individuals uh, in season one. There's a season two on its way. Um, And she talks about their crime, uh, what led to their crime and the journey to um, reformation and redemption, uh, you know, their, their experiences trying to reintegrate into the community, um, as many of them are so powerful. And, you know, when I was listening, I mean, listening to any person's story, really, they are all heartbreaking yeah. because every single one of them are generally part of their story is being ostracised. Is yeah. being unloved, is being, you know, just removed from thought. Yeah, yeah, yes. So um, so how did you get your role at the university as a lecturer? Uh, so, so in 2015, when I was doing my PhD, so this was first year, uh, I went to a conference in Adelaide. So I was living in Armadale at the time. And um, met an incredible woman, uh, the very uh, the, the one and only Dr. Suzanne Reich, who did the uh, who did the podcast, and she was also doing her PhD. Um, and I, I remember we ditched one afternoon of of talks, and she invited me out to to lunch, and, and we ended up chatting for hours. Um, and at the time, it was a it was a fairly odd encounter because uh, she asked me fairly early on whether I was a Christian. And at that time, I was very much struggling with my Christian faith and and was kind of just starting to find my way back to God. Um, But we, you know, and we we ended up staying in touch, you know. Facebook can be good for some things. (laughs) So we were Facebook friends. We spoke very occasionally, you know, probably once a year. I remember we had some conversations about, you know, uh, difficulties that we were experiencing in our PhD, um, a job that she was, a job that she was applying for. Uh, And then um, at the end of uh, 2018, she'd given me a ring, asked me what I was doing. Um, I was actually making quilts for commission. I was not using my PhD. And she asked me whether I wanted to write some courses for uh, a criminology program that she was developing at the University of Southern Queensland. I, of course, jumped at the chance. Yeah. Uh, So I I wrote three courses, two of which, or three of which I taught last year, but um, I I usually teach two. Um, And then 
it came, she, she sent, she gave me a ring uh, two weeks before semester one was due to start saying, ah, I need someone to teach this course. Um, what are you doing? And uh, so I prayed a bit about it um, and I, I just took a huge, what seemed to be a huge leap of faith at the time and moved to Toowoomba um, with two weeks' notice. I packed up everything in Armadale. Um, my yeah. poor dad <laughs> yeah. helped me pack up my hoarder's house, uh, which is no longer a hoarder's house because the move was that traumatic. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I, I just I wanted to develop relationships I wanted to get experience and so work kept on coming it was really great and eventually a full-time position uh, popped up in 2019 I applied for it and I was blessed and lucky enough to actually get it so you know yeah 2015 and I, I got my full-time position in 2020 five years in the making but um yeah who knew God had a plan a hundred percent. So what, what's actually involved in being a criminologist? Like, what do you do? Uh, so a criminologist really studies the what, where, when, who and why of crime. Uh, criminologists vary so much, you know, in, in what we do. Uh, we can specialise. Uh, uh, there's very few who probably specialise in the same thing. Um, you know, if uh, students who study criminology can go into a variety of different fields, um, you know, you've got the obvious ones such as, you know, police, courts, corrections, victim services, they can do policy writing, academia, like the, there's just so many, it's so vast. Hmm. Um, for me, what I'm most passionate about is the underdog. Uh, I'm pa passionate about the, the way that we punish. I think that it's inherently unjust, unfair and problematic. And actually, you know, research, not just me that thinks this, research has shown that prison in particular and punitive punishments increase crime. They, uh -huh. they do nothing to reform. They do nothing to help, uh, which is what we are called to do. Um, so I, I'm interested in exploring alternative uh, solutions to that. Uh, and I, I started, I suppose, in, in my PhD with uh, the dog therapy programs. But, um, you know, since being in my job, I've kind of, it's so much more than that. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, people teach, you learn so many things from yeah. people. I think conversations are the most important because that's, that's what's valuable yeah. um, connection. Can you talk more about those um, alternate just solutions? Because I, I started talking about this last week with the um, Victoria who was interviewing where we came to the conclusion that particularly high security prison is not working. Um, so what, what are some, what, what do you mean? Just talk to me about the just solutions or alternate solutions. So I really don't have an answer <laughs> for you. <laughs> Yet, hopefully there's a dot, dot, dot yet because hopefully one, you know, in my career I, I can come up with something. But yeah. really I just know at the moment the system is broken. What we are currently doing to achieve justice isn't working. So, you know, and, and what we are doing, we refer to as a just solution, right? We, we often 
assume and label it to be social justice. Social justice is the buzzword. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that we use. Um, but not only is it not working, these, these so-called just solutions, um, but they're creating more division, they're creating more disadvantage, and they're creating more injustice. Um, you know, this, this idea of social justice is so problematic um, because, you know, to achieve, in an attempt to achieve justice, society feels that it should identify those who are poor, disadvantaged, oppressed, um, and give them what it believes they are due. So, you know, it's, it's trying to level the playing field, so to speak. Uh -huh. um, but this is inherently flawed because to do true justice uh, is to give someone what they are due, due without favour. So the very act of identifying those who are poor, disadvantaged, oppressed and giving them, um, you know, redistributing wealth, redistributing yep. opportunities, that is inherently unjust. <laughs> right. But you, um, I can imagine a lot of people right now, this might be the first time that listeners that listen to Girl Next Door have heard this. I've studied up on this a lot um, because I feel we've got a young generation who have been led to believe through the education system, through social media, that social justice is a really good thing. Absolutely. And, I was. <laughs> right. And so you're going to be blowing some people's minds right now that social justice is actually not justice at all, but adding to the problem because it's society saying, here's a minority group and they've been hard done by. So therefore we give them more or we yes. let them get away with something because. Yes. Yes. It's, it's a really, it's a really difficult thing, and something when I when I first stumbled across it, I had to reread it a couple of times to really grasp it because our worldview, our inherent belief that we grow up with, is that what we currently do, doing social justice, is fair, is right, is just. That is what we should strive for. And so there's such a cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Um, and like I said, you know, it, it was something. And But there was so much of it that I just went, that's, that's so true. You know, our, in the justice system, we have our lady justice. Now, if you see, if you can picture her in your mind, she's blindfolded. Yes. Do you, just explain that. What do you mean? Some people don't won't know what you're talking about. So Lady Justice is a, is a statue and it's she represents uh, the, in, the, the impartial and unbiased nature that, or, that the criminal justice system and judges should yes. represent, right? Yeah. And she should um, be balanced in her approach. She should be unbiased. Yeah, so she's blindfolded um, because she shouldn't see whether you're what your gender is, what your skin color is, absolutely. Who you are, but that is not what is happening. So I keep going. I interrupt you because that's brilliant. A lot of people will not know that because that is not our justice system. No, absolutely. So you know, if if we are and and one thing, you know, we often identify um, 
you know, this difference. So there's, there's social justice um, and then we can talk about biblical justice. Um, now this, it kind of, it suggests that there's more than one way to do justice right, but there's really not. Something's just or it's not. So, and we are commanded, so Jeremiah 7, um, we're commanded to truly execute justice. So that tends to suggest that there's an untrue way to do justice. Um, and, you know, for during the 60s and the 70s, you know, we, we had a lot of these movements, you know, feminism, um, you know, the, the victim movement was huge. And we began to recognise that society favoured people, some people over others. So we favoured men over women, rich over poor, white over black. Now, our answer to this at the time was to just flip it. Yeah. Um, and to favour women over men, poor over rich and black over white. And we saw this very recently in the Queensland uh, police force where a whole bunch of women were um, recruited who yes. didn't pass certain tests. Yes. Now, that's not equality, that's not equity, that's not justice, that is, in fact, discrimination. Whoa. I like, This is why I love you because <laughs> I've been studying up this stuff a lot just because of different things that I present at the Youth Alive Academy. And when my eyes first started getting open to this, I was like, oh, my gosh, this literally goes against the grain because people think, for example, that by giving those women the opportunity, they think that that is equality and justice. That's what we're told. But yeah. what you just said was it's actually discrimination because these women were given a leg up or an advantage that they didn't deserve. Absolutely. They are, they are getting what they are not due because of certain characteristics, which is by very nature discrimination. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so this whole idea of social justice versus biblical justice, I've done a bit of study on this, a bit of reading up. Vodi Bockham is a good one to go to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right. Yeah, really good. Listen to some podcasts. I think he was interviewed in a podcast I listened to by Ali Stuckey. Um, yes. Yeah. So with the, with the Youth Alive crew, I did this one day and we were talking about it and it just blew their mind because I just kept asking them questions. But how is that fair if? And they end up just <laughs> looking at me like, what? So we end up drawing a table on the whiteboard of this is what social justice is, but this is what biblical justice is. But yes. I feel like... Um, and we'll probably talk, go into this a bit a bit afterwards, but I feel like the church has gotten this a little bit wrong too, that we have actually, when you look at, at have, have peddled social justice in front of biblical justice, but can you maybe talk a bit, especially I am sure that your views might not be shared in your world because they're not uh, yeah. things from a biblical point of view. So let's unpack this social justice versus biblical justice. So, um, so things like um, social justice is driven by what's socially acceptable. Yes, whereas absolutely. Right? Whereas biblical justice doesn't care about what's socially acceptable. 
it's driven by what's morally acceptable. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of my um, one of my or two of my favorite verses, I, I should say, uh, you know, the the Bible expressly tells us not to pervert justice by siding with the crowd. <laughs> um, yes. And Exodus twenty three and. I think, you know, you, you talk about the churches and what we're getting wrong. I think that's a big part of what we're getting wrong. And, look, uh, it's really hard. It's really hard to feel like you are the one that is different. It's speaking up, telling truth, uh, it's a really difficult thing to do, especially when your words are constantly flipped, you know, um, and, and the other one is Leviticus, um, do not, which, which tells us not to pervert justice by showing partiality to the poor or favoritism uh, to the great, which is exactly <laughs> what social justice does. Um, you know, and, and it's driven by what people say is right. Yes. Um, not what God says is right. And we saw this around the Black Lives Matter stuff. That was very divisive. Oh, because, big time. Right? Because it was really cool right then, last year, 2020, whatever year it was, 22 years ago, to post a black tile. And yes. yeah, black, li- black Lives Matter, of course it does. But if you dared say all lives matter, which is actually what biblical truth is, like I've heard Dennis Prager on Prager U, he'd be like, uh, exactly like the justice lady, blindfolded. You yes. don't get justice according to your skin color. No, no. Um, anyway, and, we'll talk about that all day. Yeah, you go. Yes. Well, Body Bochum, um, You know, he he's somebody uh, that talks about this really, really well. And anybody who's interested, um, there's a lot of stuff on YouTube. He's got a book called Fault Lines um, that you might be interested in, but he talks about this whole idea of, of race is so problematic. There is only one race, the human race. We are all equal. A hundred percent. Another thing that social justice does is um, it prescribes guilt or innocence based on the mob, based on what everyone else says is, you know, who's guilty and who's innocent. Where, yeah. Whereas the Bible teaches us, well, no, we don't prescribe guilt or innocence based on what everyone else is saying. We wait for the proper process and the law determines guilt or innocence. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not, um, you know, it takes also the, you know, the standards are from the Bible. I think that that's something else that's different. You know, it, it doesn't just wait for, for process and law. It takes the law from the Bible Whereas social justice takes law from people. It's what yes. we've made to be law, right? Yes. Um, and a lot of that comes from critical theory, which, you know, is very much stemmed from those 60s, 70s uh, movements. Yes, yes, so true. So um, so you talk about biblical justice. Um, I know we've chatted about this before. Well, you and I have probably off air, um, that it's the expression of God's righteousness of God's honesty, integrity, equity, truth through right action. And that to do biblical justice, which should be the way we all do justice, because that's God's standard, is yes. actually to hold people accountable for their rights and wrongs? Yes, absolutely. 
So, you know, I, I have an inherent belief that to hold people to account is to love them. That's loving. Wow. That's a loving thing to do. Um, and, you know, one of the, one of the differences as well uh, that I highlight in this is that, you know, biblical justice doesn't ask why. It simply asks who. You know, it just, it's just looking for the truth, um, you know, and in the criminal justice system, I mean, oh gosh, I got into criminology because I wanted to know why. Um, so you know, I kind of, when I talk about this, I kind of feel like a bit of a hypocrite because I just want to know why and I still do. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's not, while it's important, um, and it's important, uh, particularly after the justice has been uh, delivered, it's yeah. not important prior. What we need to know when we are delivering justice is who did it? Did they do it? Wow. Um, now, you know, afterwards, that's when compassion, that's when compassion comes in. You know, a holding, as I said, holding people to account, I think that's compassionate. I think that's compassionate for all, um, particularly when we're looking at the criminal justice system. It's compassionate to and to and just to all the other people who have been uh, charged or convicted of that crime. Uh, it's compassionate to the victims. Uh, it gives them, you know, uh, it gives the person what they are due, uh, but it holds them to account. And how can we change? What, you know, the, the quote, one of the quotes that I love on social media is, you know, the diamonds are made under pressure. Yeah. Um, and so it, it, you know, says when, when you are feeling pressure, just know that, um, you know, God is, God is doing something great. He's preparing yeah. you for something great. And I, I think that that's a massive part of holding somebody to account. It's saying, hey, you know, you need to change and calling on them to do that. If we don't hold anybody to account, then not only does that person think potentially think that it's okay, other people then go, oh, it's fine. Um, then we've got anarchy yeah, and injustice totally. everywhere. Totally. So, so you're saying that if to ask why actually invites injustice, because then it might be like, oh, well, if your reason's good enough behind why you did what you did, then maybe you'll get off, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. Have, have you got some examples about that? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I've got a couple that I, I, um, I often use in class. <laughs> So, uh, you know, the first one, let, let's look at a police arrest. Police arrest two people uh, for stealing, let's say stealing money, $100. You know, both are 17, both are white Australians. One lives in housing permission and one lives in an affluent suburb. Now, they both admit to stealing. They both admit that they committed the theft and stole the $100. Now, the poor person, social justice, is likely to result in the poor person's let off with a warning because we place our own assumption that they need the money, that they needed that money. Um, while the person from the affluent suburb is given 20 hours of community service. Now, how is that just to either of these young men? But that's equity. Equity would say 
you got to even the playing field. That person started at a disadvantage to the other person. Yes, and, and this is this is the big issue with social justice. Social yeah. justice is all about equal outcomes, yes. not about equal opportunities. Yes, I've talked about that before. That is a great example, what you just said then. Now, you said you've got a few examples. Give, give us another. Yeah, so let's look at a more extreme example, a, a more emotional one. Um, two men accused of sexually assaulting a teenage girl, let's say, you know, 15, 16. They're both charged and convicted. Now, at sentencing, one man reports that he endured serious physical, psychological, sexual abuse during his childhood, while, while the other does not. Now, while that is, you know, horrendous, and my heart goes to, to that person who, sh who experienced that, because no sh child should ever experience that. The judge takes this into consideration, and, and the sentence is significantly reduced. Um, now, is it fair to the other man that was convicted of the same crime that he, his sentence was reduced? But not only that, is it fair to the victim? And is it fair to all the other men who may have experienced physical, psychological and sexual abuse as children but have not committed crime? Because essentially... By doing this, it gives them an excuse, right? Oh, well, I can just go out and sexually assault a teenage girl because I was, I experienced that too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is what I try and do in the academy all the time. And you've done it just then is we've got to ask questions to make ourselves think because yes. at, at face value, we think it's compassionate to um, you know, to look at that man's background and go, oh, well, he, he suffered. Um, and you've said it to me before, and it was mind blowing to me, is that compassion cannot come before justice. Compassion should come after justice. You know, so Absolutely. we'll talk about that in just a moment, because that is a powerful thing that I think perhaps the church has gotten a little bit the wrong way around. Um, but let's look outside the criminal justice system and look at the actual justice, social justice system efforts with, say, Indigenous communities. Yeah, this, look, this is, um, I use this example because it's such, you know, particularly with the Black Lives Matter movement, it, it's particularly kind of thought-provoking and, and very, um, what's the word, Emotive. Yeah, motive challenging, okay. you know, it, it cannot necessarily be um, a popular opinion. But let's consider a white mother of four lives in a remote Aboriginal community, okay? So now three of her children have the same Indigenous father uh, and one has an Australian father. Now, that mother receives additional government subsidy for her three Aboriginal children but not her white child. Now, when the children grow up, um, the three Indigenous children or three Indigenous uh, young adults um, can identify as Indigenous and receive additional opportunities in comparison to their white sibling. Now, many would say that this child will never have to face the discrimination and racism that occurs simply because of their skin colour. And, and that's absolutely um, correct. They won't. They will, however, feel the same amount of discrimination in relation to education, work opportunities, family life, 
because they weren't given equal opportunities as a child in exactly the same way as their Indigenous siblings weren't given equal opportunities as children. So, you know, using this scenario, we still see society focusing on the why. We assume that it's race. Okay, we're not asking who, we're not asking who is disadvantaged, who is oppressed and, and you know, helping them. We're asking why and then making it a blanket rule for everyone, regardless of whether they actually feel or experience that oppression, disadvantage, etc. Wow. That is, yeah, that's a really good example. And this is an example of how, you know, the government and society are the ones choosing who the disadvantaged people are. So, so that can yeah. change, that can change in a different culture in a different country. That could be different. And so, Absolutely. and so, so justice then becomes emotive, and that's where biblical justice never changes. Social justice changes according to the the people that are deciding who are the most disadvantaged. It's the it's the government and the people deciding who gets the justice and who's not. Well, what if you've got, you know, and you've got flawed humans? Yes, yes. Um, there is a, a, a quote that I love from um, Questioning Christianity, uh, which is a new book. Ooh. Um, and um, I, I've had uh, a, several conversations with one of its authors, um, Rianne Rue, and one of the things that it, it says, and I think that it puts it so beautifully, is society will always fail to deliver on its promises because humans are at its centre. Therefore, any promise of justice from society will never occur. Say that again. Society will always fail to deliver on its promises because humans are at its centre. Therefore, any promise of justice from society will never occur. Wow. That's yep. really deep. I'm going to like get my brain around that. Well, you know, when all this stuff was happening with Black Lives Matters, I've got a friend who's Indigenous and she grew up because um, I was teaching the academy students at the time. We were talking about white privilege and I went around the room and I asked them, do you think you've got white privilege? And of course, they're, they're listening to all social media and they're like, oh, yes, yes, yes. And I wanted to challenge that. And I said, well, my really good friend um, is Indigenous, but she grew up in a two-parent home. Had They both had good incomes. She went to a good school and they had good money. I go, I, on the other hand, I'm white. I'm, I'm you know, Australian or European. And my mum and dad divorced. And so I grew up in a single parent home on the poverty line, you know, went to a state school. Do I still have white privilege? Like, am I more privileged because I'm white? And then wow. I could see their eyeballs going, because they know both of us. They know me and they know my friend. And they were just like, it messed with their heads that they actually had, had to say with their mouth, in that case, <laughs> Renee, perhaps you were the more disadvantaged in, in yes. that scenario. Um, and, and my Indigenous friend, she was so mad about the whole Black Lives Matter stuff because of things like that, you know. Um, yes. So when humanity is dishing out the justice, it, it's not justice at all. 
So let's no. get into the hairy question of have we gotten this wrong in the church? Like, I feel like because we've been raised to be compassionate, loving people, that maybe we've gotten the compassion before the justice, but you talk about the justice and then the compassion, which I think is a huge shift. Yeah, I, I think you know, because we're getting justice so wrong in society, that inevitably involves the church. Yeah. Churches are within society. Um, and we're human, so we're flawed. Yeah. <laughs> but I also think, you know, and I've felt this personally, you know, the constant threat of being ostracised um, by society, uh, being referred to as ungodly by people questioning your intentions and your faith, keeps many in the church in line, so to speak. Um, you know, and, and I think this is why, you know, I, I support the religious discrimination bill. Mm. Um, I, I think I spent about an hour, hour and a half making responses. <laughs> um, it took quite a bit of time. It was probably a lot longer than that. I remember it being late one night. Uh, but, you know, I, I find it, highly ironic that the law protects a large number of minorities from discrimination yet it does not protect those who hold certain religious beliefs you know talk about injustice my goodness um you know why is it okay for one person to say that they are in opposition to my christian belief but it's not okay for me or for another christian person to say that i'm in opposition to one of their beliefs that I see as ungodly. Um, you know, to me, both people are doing the same thing. They're, they're simply stating their beliefs. They're not inciting hatred. Um, you know, it's that freedom of speech, you know, and if you punish one, you should punish both. That, that would be justice. Um, but I, I think to go back to your question, you know, I think many people within the church and I won't use the term Christians because um you know there are wolves in sheep's clothing everywhere uh, but we get caught up in trying to find man-made solutions mm -hmm. um you know it, it's it's very easy and uh, I put myself uh at this at, you know in this category as well it's very easy to, to forget God um, you know, one of one of the books that I'm reading at the moment, uh, Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth, uh, amazing book. And, and one of the things that um, the author calls you to do is when you're, think of somebody that has wronged you. Think of somebody who has, you know, just the most unjust person. And know, say to yourself that they are an image bearer. They are one of God's children. Really changes your perception. Um, and I'm trying to do that more and more because I, I, I have a little bit of anger issues. I'll admit I am quite quick to anger, especially when there's injustice. Um, yeah. I will ironically shout at someone for being inconsiderate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, not, not exactly the most, uh, the most godly approach. I'm working on it. I pray to God. <laughs> um, but there's, there's an idea I, I really like as well from, from the same book. And I think it really sums up the way churches are doing justice. And it's called hermit crab theology. 
So hermit crabs don't have their own shell, right? So it has to find another shell that it can call home. Now, I, I feel that churches and Christians do this with Jesus in a similar way. You know, we, we consider what society sees to be the ideal solution. Um, and then we find a way to jam Jesus in <laughs> just somewhere um, so that we're, in essence, we're pleasing both, right? We're trying to please society by, yeah. by going along with them, um, but also pleasing the church. We don't want to be seen as ungodly. But this is, you know, this is inherently flawed because Jesus should always come first. Yes. He should always be our guide. Yes, that is brilliant. So we are trying to cram Jesus, like we're, we're adopting the society's version of justice and then trying to shove Jesus in there somehow to make us feel better. Um, yeah. Can you think of an, of an example off the top of your head? I don't know, that might be a... Oh, now you're pushing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, not really, but I think one of the things that I... You know, I, I think what often follow. I can tell you what often precedes or follows it, and and that is that it's all about the interpretation of the Bible, right? I don't think that this is what it's intended. I don't think you know God loves all beings. Yes. Um, you know, and and it's you know, for me, it's either truth or not. It's either said yeah. or not. There's there's no yeah. interpretation. Is human interpretation. Yeah. Um, and, and we do it to appease. We do it to fit in. We do it yeah. so that we can make everyone happy. Um, yeah. gender, fluidity, gender fluidity is an example of this. I, I probably talk about this, so many different examples on my podcast where I, I try and present the truth and unpack the truth, but it's often in opposition to what society says. Yeah. You know, gay, gay marriage is another one. God yep. doesn't change his, God's very clear in the Bible in Genesis about what, you know, the definition of marriage is. He's very clear in Genesis about gender, um, you know, mother, father. I've talked about that before. Um, but then we want to try and be compassionate towards everyone. And I, and I totally get that as well. Absolutely. Um, but, but God's truth always has to remain the standard. And, and we've got to find the wisdom behind God's truth. Like, why does God say that? Well, yes. just look at the mess society's in. Look at what happens to a young yes. person who doesn't know what their gender is. They're the most confused. I, I did a whole thing on that, on the transgender thing. And, you know, we could go into so many other things. But where I want to bring it back as we end our convo, I think we've gone we've gone for 45 minutes. This is an extra wow. long episode. It was like five. <laughs> I know, I know. But you started at the beginning talking about how the, the, the prison system's not working and the way that we're carrying out justice is not working. And you sound very compassionate and passionate towards the criminal. But then I've heard you say it is love to hold someone accountable. So how do we kind of put, put the two together? So we obviously need to, um, you know, people need to be accountable for their crimes, but then how do we do that in, in a loving way? I guess maybe Jesus perhaps again showed us how to treat prisoners. Like, I, I don't know. What's your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The, you know, God had 
simply by the amount of references <laughs> there are to to prisoners um, and the oppressed in the Bible, you know, shows us that you know God held prisoners are uh, close. You know, He wants them to be set free, um, to break the bonds, to free the prisoners. Yeah. Um, and you know, we have to. Delivering justice does not mean that we should not care. It does not mean that we should not show compassion. Uh, you know, and, and Jesus instructs us to, to treat prisoners um, in, um, in a number of ways, you know. And um, the New Testament expressly calls on believers to demonstrate practical care for those in prison. Uh, and, it, you know, Hebrews, remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Um, and, you know, anything, God sees that anything you do to somebody who is marginalised, who is oppressed, you do to him. Yeah. You know, it, it's that treat others as you would be treated. Yeah. You know, and... I would argue that, as I've said before, that um, bringing people to account is caring. Yeah. Because it's caring for, you know, their souls. It's caring for who they are, loving them. Um, the other thing I think we really need to do um, you know, the, as I've said, the, the criminal justice system is not working. Prisons in particular are the worst invention. Um, and the Bible is consistently negative um, towards prisons. Um, you know, we don't, nowhere in the scripture is there some endorsement of, of prisons you know they in in scripture they are always used to oppress and to be quite frank that's how they're used in society um now um uh, you know we we are all designed you know in god's image and he wants us to fulfill our purpose um now prison cannot help uh, anybody in fact it is a detriment to people fulfilling their purpose you know I, I've spoken to a lot of, of people who have been inside um, a lot and there's only one that's ever said that prison was a positive experience really for for that person um, and you know while, although, you know, there are others who have said, while it was a horrendous experience, I needed to go through that. I needed to be punished to see the way out and to, um, to better myself, essentially, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing that we are called on is community, <laughs> you know, to love, to be concerned yes. for for the poor, the disadvantaged, you know, particularly prisoners. Yeah. Um, you know, think, what they need most is a community of people who truly understand both grace 
and forgiveness, a community that that loves strangers, that loves enemies. It's a really difficult thing to do. But, yeah. you know, community breaks down the dividing walls of hostility. And by doing this, we can bring people to God as well. Yeah. And, and isn't that the ultimate goal? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and this is what Christ did. Um, he yeah. brought people. He, he showed compassion. He showed God's love. And through that, brought people to God yeah and 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 Jesus talks a lot about you know um, right throughout the Bible we're told and taught to take responsibility for ourselves. yes he who can rule his own spirit is better than he who can rule a kingdom and um, you know the parables of the talents and there's just so many different references so so I guess it's like yes we all need to take responsibility and that includes someone that perpetrates a crime but a God, Jesus' ultimate goal, like you said, is restoration. And so I guess the big question is, is prison a part of the restoration process? And I think we all know it's not working. We know what the reticent rate is of, retur- of returning um, to prison is, is huge. Um, and so there's got to be another answer. And I just can't wait for the day where um, you know, we need young people to get into, I mean, you're in the in the lecturing part of the system, which is incredible because you're helping to shape young people's minds. But we need some people to get really high up in the policy making and in those parts where we can actually make a change. And, you know, Georgia um, works for a fantastic company that works with a lot of young people that get out of prison and then go into their care. And this lady that owns the company is trying to make changes uh, doing a lot of this therapy, dog therapy is one of them, and it, like amazing what she wants to do, but she constantly gets her hand slept on the wrist by child safety or, you know, the red tape. And so it's like we need some more people to get up into those high positions so we can start to make change from the inside out. That's how I see it. Absolutely. And, you know, as somebody that has has tried also to to get into the system and and try to you know is passionate about changing and and the only way we know what needs changing is by speaking to people who are living it right yeah the lived experience is such a such a key thing but getting that access so to give you just a, a brief example I I did my PhD uh, on dogs in prison um, as I said the dog therapy programs. Now, I I took just over three years to do my PhD. I was not granted access to the prisons uh, until six months short of submitting my PhD. It took two and a half years. Um, And it was a constant battle. Um, And, you know, I, I... it's it's a it's really tough it is a really tough thing you know I I 100% agree with you that we need more people in the top but my greatest fear um and the biggest difficulty that I think you know it is inevitable is actually getting there because we are a minority let's face it and the majority don't want us up there yeah yeah, we got to start getting smarter. Play the yeah. long game, as you say. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, Renee, I do. Play the long game. Well, I mean, you're doing it right now um, in, in where you are as a, as a lecturer 
I can imagine your views. I mean, you're not allowed to talk about biblical justice, but no doubt that you weave in some of the principles, but. Yeah, it's, it is really tricky and it's, I must admit, you know, like, like I said to you, I do play the long game and, and I, too, I do hold my tongue um, yeah. in, on many occasions, on many occasions. Um, but, you know, and, and that, anybody who knows me knows that's a bit difficult for me because <laughs> I tend to be very honest and forthright fairly immediately. <laughs> um, and, you know, sometimes it gets me into, into a bit of trouble but I do believe that there is a, a place, a, a, you know, space and time um, where we can make the most difference. And I just pray that God gives us that and gives me that and gives me the wisdom also to know when that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. So, Lauren, just to finish up, what, are, what would be a couple of books that people could go and read if they want to? Uh, you know, read up a bit more. We talked about Fault Lines by Bodie Bockham. Yeah, so Fault Lines, um, Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth, uh, Christianity and Wokeness, um, Live Not by Lies is, is another one. Yep. Uh, the Social Justice Handbook, it's actually a really good one. Mayalise um, Cannon, and it's, so it kind of gives you, I mean, they're all great. I shouldn't say like just this one. They're all brilliant. Yeah. Uh, but, but if you want to, if you feel a call to action and if, if you really want to put into action what we've been talking about, this really helps you. So it looks at some of the key issues and it, it names them by alphabetic, alphabetical order. Um, and it, you know, things like, environmental justice to abortion to globalization um i'm looking at it right now human rights and it also gives you prayers as well to you know kind of what is that it, talk, it talks about taking action but looks at if you want to bring this into your into your life you know something that i'm really passionate about is, is children um unless I go to Woolworths or Coles after 3pm and then I change my mind. So <laughs> do all the mums. Yeah, yes, I'm sure. But, you know, asking God to give you the opportunity. You know, we can't just stand around waiting for it to happen. Ask him to give you the opportunity uh, to help Yeah. and to deliver justice. You know, yeah. uh, one thing, you know, that I think, the state, it took over from, from God and, and from our role, particularly in the criminal justice system. You know, once upon a time it was victims um, who brought their offenders to justice. Yep. Um, but the, um, well, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> She's forgotten. I've forgotten. <laughs> Um, oh, that's right. We we rely on the state. Oh, then, yes. Too often we go, do you know what? It's The state will fix it or somebody else will fix it. Not my role. We need to make it our yep. role. Yeah. Um, and so asking God uh, can be part of that. Yeah. And, and look, and that's a beautiful way to end because what you've done is you've opened up a can of whoopee by saying <laughs> 
<laughs> now I'll just leave. Yeah, now you can leave about the state. We want the state to fix it. Well, hello, that's going on right now with COVID. We just yeah. want the government to look after us and to fix it and uh, not happening, not doing a great job um, yeah. with that. But and, yeah. And one of the, just, just lastly, one of the greatest things, wisdoms my dad has given me, um, don't complain about it. If you don't like it, do something about it. Yeah, that's it's not hard. Yeah. it's very popular at the moment for uh, a lot of young people are studying criminology so I would really recommend guys that you read all of these resources that Lauren talked about Um, if anyone wants to get in contact with you Lauren or can they follow you anywhere or because you would be a great resource for um, young students coming through yeah absolutely well anybody's welcome to email me at lauren.humby at usq.edu.au i do also have a uh public profile on facebook uh, and twitter although i'm a bit terrible with twitter so so facebook is is likely the way to go you can follow me there Um, it's humby h-u-m-b-y yes correct perfect Lauren, thank you. Dr. Lauren. <laughs> thank you. I don't hear it. <laughs> sounds very I don't hear it often. It sounds weird still. Uh, thank you so much. That's just been a really informative um, conversation. I feel like it got a lot more serious than what usually when I kind of laugh and talk over each other. And um, yes, really informative. And I think you've probably opened up a lot of um, people's minds help them maybe to question the way that things are um and you're super knowledgeable so thank you so much for joining us oh thank you so much for having me oh pleasure and the dogs kept quiet the rest of the time i know thank goodness and and we didn't even get any uh cats muffling me with their tails which they sometimes (laughs) do (laughs) it's so true i've locked my dog out so (laughs) oh that would be it's raining here so i i didn't want to be the mean mum yeah true true or deal with them muddy yeah that's probably more my thing I don't want to deal with the mess yeah (laughs) so guys thank you so much for listening today that brings our crime podcast um to the end so go back and listen to all the episodes and you will have to come back next Wednesday to see what goodness I'm going to come up with I'm thinking maybe I'll chat about how Novak no what's his name Novak what's his name the 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 tennis player that just got Novak. kicked out of Australia, Novak. I know it sounds like an like vaccination. Dokovic. Talk about that and how, he got, and how he got thrown out of Australia for not being vaccinated. Dare I go there? Anyway, guys, thank you for joining us and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Lauren. Bye. Thank you. Bye.